a couple of years ago, our, uh, my wife called me, I was at work and she said, Hey, we got, we've had a problem. Uh, the front yard's really soggy and the, the water line had busted. So I got home and, you know, went to the, went to the shed and got my shovel and my mattock and, you know, started digging it out. She comes out and says, is there anything I can do? And like, you can go get me a six pack of tall boys. <laughs> and uh, that's how I spent the afternoon. <clears throat> and you definitely don't want to be drinking craft beer when you're digging holes in the middle yeah. of July. So yeah, everything's got its place. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast. Little do you guys know, although you will know now because I'm about to tell you, this is about the 10th take for the beginning that I'm like recording because I can't get it right. So this is the final take because whatever I say is whatever I say. So that's your warning because I'm not starting this one again. <laughs> um, it's just you and me talking today, guys. So we'll hang out and we'll have some fun. It's kind of appropriate though that it is just us and Kenny's not here. He's splitting logs, by the way. Um, it's appropriate because we are talking a little bit about finding balance and this is the way that we're finding balance for this one. He's busy splitting logs working and I'm recording a podcast um, without him just for this one. It's so strange. Regardless, we do also have an interview for you too. So we've got Will Rudemeyer from Balter Beer Works coming up. That's in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we're excited for that. And the reason we're talking balance is because of his beers. They're actually quite balanced and classic beers. So I figured that'd be a good intro into that. But before we get into that, um, I want to make sure that y'all know about Camp Carpe Diem. Y'all know about Camp Carpe Diem. It's the coolest adult camp ever. It's in Asheville, Brevard area, North Carolina, October 20th through the 23rd. Kenny would be proud of me. I got the dates right, I think. Um, but find out more at C-A-M-P-C-A-R-P-E-D-I-E-M.com. We'd love to see you there. Tickets are selling out. They will sell out and they're getting there. So get your button gear and buy a ticket. It's going to be so freaking awesome. On that same note, um, adventure is kind of sort of what makes finding that work-life balance difficult. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this right now. This is kind of unsolicited advice and we are definitely far from people giving perfect advice on work-life balance because we still struggle with that. But balance in work and life, just like balance in your ingredients in your beer is never going to be full on equal. So there might be times in life where balance for work and balance for life are like this straight line and they're perfectly equal. But I bet you that only happens for like, I don't know, 30 seconds because it's crazy. So let me tell you more about why Kenny's not here. So we, if you don't know, we're working for a little while at Fly Lake Resort. It's in Montana, which is great. And we're helping out with marketing and we're helping out with writing and we're helping out with cleaning rooms and we're helping out with splitting logs and maintenance and all sorts of things. And today, before we head off to Seattle, yes, we're going to Seattle for a little bit. Um, before we head off to Seattle later tonight, we've got a lot of work to do trying to get everything done for us at Living a Stout Life, for the people that we write for, um, for Fly Lake Resort, because, you know, when you live on the road and try to get creative with your dreams of living on the road, you've got to put your irons in all the fires to make money everywhere. So that's what we do. So that's why today we're trying to get all this done before we head off to Seattle for a few days and Kenny's splitting logs 
and I'm recording the podcast without him and just with you. So yes, on that work-life balance thing again, for us, and I think it's what I would tell anybody is if you feel like you've gone to work, whatever your work may be, does not matter, and you're done with work and you are still feeling like you cannot take time to go have a drink at a brewery, you cannot take time to go see a live play, which we did last night, or you cannot take time to walk down to the lake, or you cannot take time to exercise, or you cannot take time to meditate, or you cannot take time to go mountain biking, or whatever it is that you feel you cannot take time to do because work is all consuming, uh, your balance is a bit off and you need to fix it. (laughs) But again, you have to like realize that if you take two days off, full on, completely off, then yeah, the next three to four days might be completely working. But if that works for you and you feel good about that, that's balance. If you need to be equally balanced where four hours is play and four hours work, that's fine too. If you're working your ass off for two months straight so you can go enjoy a worldwide tour for one month straight, uh, that's balance too. So I don't know. I'm not going to lecture you all on what actually balance is, but it kind of goes along the lines with what we're talking to Will about on this episode, because his beers are like this classic style that go well with their food. It's a great brew pub. And his beers are also just like they're, they're balanced and refreshing and drinkable and flavorful. And I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a brilliant life as well. That's where I was kind of thinking of like that whole work-life balance or whatever two words you want to put together for balance. Uh, We talk about it all the time, trying to find that in life. And it's never going to be that straight line. Um, If it is for you guys and you're perfectly happy with that and life is joyful, maybe y'all should start your own podcast and tell us exactly how to do it. Because us fools here, we haven't figured that shit out, but we're having a great time attempting to figure it out because we're doing pretty good at playing and working and sometimes we're a little stressed over too much work and sometimes we're a little stressed over not enough work and so you know it's a back and forth which you know what to me makes life quite adventurous and I hope that you have an adventurous life too doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you yes you the listeners are having a great time with it I feel like I'm rambling so on that note I'm going to introduce you to Will from Balter Beer Works. Let him tell you his story and how he got into beer. Oh, yeah, you know, we all love beer. And speaking of Seattle, it's time to go back to some beer. Mmm, beer. But we're going to let him talk about that and how he got into brewing and how he got into his business and, you know, the whole stories behind the beer. And Kenny's there, too. So we got all of us. I'll see you after the interview. Here's Will. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast. We're here with Will Rudemeyer from Balter Beer Works in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we're traveling to Tennessee this time and we're teaming up with Malt Europe and thanks to them, we're hanging out and chatting beer and finding out all about your brewery. How you doing, yeah. Will? Doing good. It's a beautiful uh, afternoon in East Tennessee. Is Anyways, it? and I assume it is for you guys too finally a beautiful day here like it's been so cloudy and just cool and kind of rainy and dreary I think I'm getting like but it's finally really sunny it's like 60 degrees so it's gorgeous (laughs) 
Yeah, we were getting that kind of Pacific Northwest vibe going for the last few weeks, and it was dark and cloudy and rainy and cold. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday but was now nice. It's beautiful. But yesterday was nice too. We actually went out on the water. So Kenny was on the, cat, the kayak, and I was on the paddleboard because we're right on Flathead Lake, and it was like glass. It was gorgeous. Oh, beautiful. This, this is the time to be on the lake if you're on like the smaller watercraft because there's no big boats out there yet. So <laughs> it was perfect. But this is not about us. This is about you, Will. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us like about you, why we think you're cool, like, you know, where, what your role is at the brewery um, and maybe just a little bit of a backstory on the brewery itself, too. So we started planning Balter in probably 20. 13, 2014, maybe it's hard to say. It's hard to remember now. Um, and a mutual friend introduced me to the, uh, to the owners, the Wedekins here in town. And, uh, we just got on really well. And, uh, the son of the family was looking to start a brewery and he was working for a beer distributor at that time, kind of learning that side of the business. And, uh, we, I was more interested in the brewing side. My background is uh, biosystems engineering. Um, and I've been homebrewing for a long time and I really like to tinker and uh, cook. And so the recipe development and the brewing side really appealed to me. And he was more interested in the business and sales side. So uh, you know, every brewer needs a salesperson or most of us do. Uh, a lot of, a lot of us don't do that, that part of the job particularly well. Um, so it was a, it was a great match. Um, and so we got serious about starting something and then probably, I don't know, pretty soon after that, uh, his, uh, this guy's dad kind of figured out that we were about to hit him up for a lot of money. So he called <laughs> an old friend and uh, uh, that friend happened to be uh, just getting out of uh, running a large brewery uh, group, uh, the Craftworks, uh, Gordon Beers, Rock Bottom, that, that uh, bunch. Um, and they had left that business and uh, were looking to start up a smaller consulting company based out of Chattanooga. And so they started, we started a consulting relationship with them and the rest is history. We ended up in a very different place than the, you know, having beers over and having beers over the, uh, you know, five gallon kettle in the garage <laughs> and ended up with a much, much bigger food component, which has been great for us. I mean, especially, uh, especially during COVID. I mean, that's been a life, a lifeline for sure. I don't think we would have survived without it. Yeah. Cause for some reason, everywhere across the country, it seemed like a brewery couldn't stay open unless they also served food yeah which didn't really make sense to me but <laughs> as a consumer i'm like okay i don't know i don't know where the safety factor in offering food along with that is other than it slows down your buzz you know slows down you getting drunk <laughs> sure sure but which uh, i mean that helped obviously being able to stay open helped us too but i think having it as the attraction right like a well you know i I've been stuck at home all day. You know, I got to, I got to feed, you know, I got to feed the family. I'll run out and grab, you know, a big old, big old uh, plate of tacos or a bunch of uh, sliders or whatever. And, you know, might as well, uh, while I'm there, I might as well grab some beers. It, it was a, uh, what's the right word? Synergistic uh, for us anyways. Um, whether, you know, regulatory wise. Yes, of course. Uh, but I, I think just what the consumer wanted, right. During that, during that time, they, they were hungry for any, opportunity to kind of get out of the house for 15 minutes and run and go grab uh, some food in the crowler. So backing up a little bit more about you, how did you, where did that passion for brewing come from? Um, the folks uh, at Chattanooga Brewing um, in uh, Chattanooga, of course, that's where I grew up. 
uh, we're friends of my parents and we used to go over when, when he, when Mark uh, was a home brewer, we'd go over even when I was in high school and, you know, I'd, you know, watch all the adults, you know, drink those beers and rave about them. And every, every once in a while I get to sneak a sip of, uh, you know, some at the time, like, you know, hundred IBU IPA that to my 17 year old palate was like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. uh, which my parents had converted from like, like, committed natural light drinkers. So I think they were kind of wondering what was going on too. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I got, I just got really interested. We went over and brewed with Mark a couple of times in his basement. And uh, when they got started there building out their first location, I went over and, you know, basically mopped the floor and squeegeed and uh, just thought it was, you know, not that mopping the floor and squeegeeing is really neat, but the process is neat and getting to do it at that scale is, is fun. I think uh, that's one of the like beautiful parts about being a, uh, a brew pub or a small like you know a small brewer is it's still relatively manual in a lot of ways like yeah we have some controller we have the temperature controllers of course but you know you're still stirring in manually and graining out manually and turning valves and i think that i don't know the like, tactile participation is is kind of cool but so, you, oh, but sorry. yeah you didn't like that wasn't going to be your career path because you didn't go straight into brewing Oh, no, I didn't know how to do it as a job. I didn't have a clue. I mean, who, do, who does when you're, you know, eight? I didn't know what I was doing when I was 18. Um, but we always kind of had it. Me and a friend had it in our back of our heads. Maybe we'd try to do something like that. Then, you know, we went through school. I got the engineering degree as kind of my backup plan. And then uh, we started a concession company, which was not part of the backup plan. <laughs> uh, managed to... Uh, run that into the ground over about 18 months and um, realized that it turns out that running a business is not just hanging out with your buds and drinking beers and selling corn dogs. Uh, so there's a lot of other stuff that has to happen. Wouldn't that be great if it was just that though? Oh my God. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I we think wouldn't get anything done though. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of brewers have come to that realization pretty quickly. A lot of, a lot of brewers who come from that home brewing background and stuff, it's like, you know, you make this great beer and you start making lots of it in your garage or in your basement or wherever, and all your buddies are coming over drinking and, and it's going great. And they're saying, this is the best beer I've ever had or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, you should open a place. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, let's open a place. And it's like, oh, there's actually business stuff to do in a business. You don't get to just make beer. Yeah, that's a, that was a wake up. That's why I, the good news is I got that wake up call before the, the brewery uh, happened. So I knew some of the, I don't want to say dangers, but, you know, just some of the other work that comes with making your, making your hobby, uh, your profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, after I, after I, uh, some friends and I ran that concession company in the ground, we had a great time doing it and we learned a lot and had a lot of uh, good support from family and friends, uh, got a job at the uh, TVA, which is the big like regional utility. It's a part of the, you know, the new, new deal, uh, New Deal Group, and uh, got a corporate job with them, and sat in the cubicle for five years, and uh, got out of some debt, which is always nice before you start a business venture. Um, start adding more debt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So dug myself out of one hole before we dug into another, right? Um, but that was a great experience. Um, taught me a lot about what you know. What what do I like about a job like that, and what do I really not like about a job like that? Like I uh, didn't like sitting still all day for sure. Um, that drove me wild. Um, I did not like having a job where most of your time was spent answering emails and sitting in on meetings and, uh, you know, stationary and indoors. I just didn't enjoy it. 
Uh, so got out of there after five years and started Balter. So you, you know, you open a brewery because you're home brewing and it turned out to be fun. You did the, like the whole corporate gig and like now you have this full on business. What is like the coolest part now that you have a very established business? Like what's something that's really keeps you excited about going to work in the morning? One of the coolest parts about what we do now is uh, just the people that we get to work with and the regulars that you get to know, it's just a totally different, it's kind of incredible to see the, you know, different backgrounds and whether they're students or whether they're, you know, lifetime committed uh, kitchen folks or, you know, whatever it is that they do, it's fun to come in and see them and fun to see them do different things. Right. And whether that's with us or whether that's moving on and doing other stuff with other companies in the industry or leaving the industry altogether and, you know, starting a, starting their own business or whatever it is. It's, it's always yeah. fun to see. And you, it's, this is a brew pub. So do you, did you get a chance to help create some of the recipes for the food as well as the beer? <laughs> uh, good Lord. No. Uh, <laughs> and everybody should be thankful. It sounds like <laughs> I am an enthusiastic home cook. Uh, I do most of the cooking at the house. Uh, I, I think I'm all right at it, but I have no business cooking in a commercial kitchen. You started uh, out home brewing and started a brewery. Would it make sense <laughs> if you're starting out home cooking, you're going to start a restaurant? <laughs> well, you might think that. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. What I want to I want to let cooking be the be the fun thing that's still fun to do at home, right? That's, that's <laughs> I learned my lesson. Yeah, that's a really true statement right there. When you start to turn your hobby into something else, mm-hmm. it does change a little bit. We did get to do some, we did get to participate in some of the, you know, menu selection stuff. So that's one of the, the services that the consulting company offered us some menu development. Um, of course, they helped us hire our chef. And uh, so sitting in on some of those, like, all right, here, here is the, you know, spectrum of stuff that we're thinking about doing. And here are the price points for those. And here's just that food show period was really exciting and fun, partly because it's, you know, you're developing this new concept and that's really exciting, but also, you know, you get to show up to this big kitchen and basically just have dish after dish, after dish, after dish brought in front of you. And it's all anyways, it was great. <clears throat> really fun. Well, and speaking of that, your chef, I think I saw something online where your chef was part of um, a TV show, right? Called um, chopped. Is chopped. That's right. So his name right, is uh, Hux Jones. Okay. And uh, he came to us, he moved here from Florida. He, well, he was originally, he was working over in Nashville and he, he looked, he jumped at the job here. Uh, it was a promotion for him and it's worked out great. I mean, I kind of joke that he's really more, he's really, you know, more chef than we need, <laughs> uh, but we're lucky to have him. That's cool. No, that's cool to have somebody like that. And like, how did, how did the whole show thing come about? Was that something he did on his own or, or was the brewery involved with that or? That's something he did on his own. I mean, Knoxville has a Discovery Networks is here. Okay. And so they do a lot of that production in town. And uh, so they're always looking for you know, basically local talent to fill those spots as well as like kind of across the, you know, whether it's across the region, across the nation. I don't know where, I don't know what kind of pool, pool they pull from. Um, but they definitely include, you know, local chefs in that mix. And he was lucky enough to get his, for his number to come up, I guess. So what would you say are some of the things that, that uh, Balter is known for as far as food and beer? Like what are, what are your calling cards to the, to the Knoxville community? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, for food wise, uh, we're really well known for our, our brunch, which has nothing to do at all with beer. 
Um, but that's probably our, our two of our busiest days or Saturday and or busiest periods or Saturday and Sunday morning. And we've got a ton of outdoor seating. And so especially this time of year, it just gets it's a great atmosphere out there. Beautiful, these beautiful, cool mornings, sitting out eating, you know, fried chicken and waffles and having a few mimosas. It's tough to be. <clears throat> Again, not my thing because no, there's no beer involved. Well, but. I was gonna say I don't know what person says that brunch doesn't have anything to do with beer because like beer goes really well with anything, including brunch. Yeah, that's true. You <laughs> I agree, but most of our patrons do not right now. <laughs> We're gonna see what we that, can do to change that. That's funny because the one the one thing um, I read about your chef on that show was that they were they had a challenge like they get thrown ingredients and have to make something and Mm -hmm. like they had like ramen and mimosas and something else and like he made some kind of i I could be a little off in my memory here but i think he made like a vinaigrette a mimosa vinaigrette and like did a poached egg and like deep fried some ramen to put on top of Mm -hmm. it for texture and stuff it was like it if you take the elements themselves i'm like ah that sounds terrible but the way it was described, putting it all together, I was like, holy crap, that sounds good. Is that something yeah. you guys put on at the, at the brew pub? Oh, no. No, right? <laughs> it takes too long to make it every time. I'm sure. Give Hux a heart attack every, uh, every Saturday, Sunday morning. <laughs> you made him do that. Well, you, it's funny that you mentioned ramen on that because it's, we were just at this um, collab festival, a beer fest in Denver, and it's just all these one-off beers that all these brewers have to get together and do a collaboration on. And one of the ones that I really remember is because we were also at the brew day for it. And then we we're at the festival with it is the ramen beer yeah. that Jade Mountain mm. did. And it was very good, but that's exactly it though. You have all these flavors that you can bring together to complement something. And it turns out to be something that works really well. But if you have it by itself and you're just listening to ramen, you're like, Ooh, ramen. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I will have to look up ramen beer. <laughs> uh, I kind of can't visualize that, but sounds like it worked. It, yeah, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting. It, it, there was a little bit of ramen in the in the mash, which probably didn't really add or take away anything. But uh, in <laughs> made in the day a pain in the butt a bit. Yeah, exactly. It just made it a difficult day. But uh, then in the end, it was there was actually some oyster sauce in it and mm, some different cool. spicy spices and things. So. So it had that kind of nod to ramen, I guess you would say. And not it didn't exactly taste like ramen. Like you didn't yeah. taste like you had a cup of ramen in your hand. Like a cold, cold carbonated broth. Mm, oh. <laughs> Did not taste like that. that Although I will say, <laughs> since since you're not far from Nashville, there was another beer at this collaboration fest that these two breweries put together. And it was a Nashville hot chicken beer. Yeah. And it tasted like a Nashville hot chicken sandwich. And that is not good in a beer. It just, <laughs> I'll tell you, it tasted exactly like it. And it even had that like kind of greasy film that you get from chicken. Yeah. And yeah, in a beer that just, Uh-oh. they nailed it, but it was not my cup of tea. Yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, they were trying to be definitely a one-off strange kind of beer on that one. And they did it. So on that note, what is like, I don't think your brewery is known for that. What, what, what beer are you guys really known for? What do people love when they come in? 
I don't know that we're known for a particular beer. You know, we've got a, we keep a Kolsch and an IPA on pretty much all the time. Our, our good neighbors are Kolsch and our uh, Firebelly is our IPA. And those are our two best selling beers and super consistent. Um, and they're, they're both, you know, I don't mean this in a, in a negative way. I, I think it's a compliment in a way, but they're, su- they're super simple beers and kind of, especially the IPA is, is real basic kind of cascade and centennial focus. So kind of classic American hop flavors. Um, Kolsch is, pretty much the same deal. I mean, classic German beer flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you know, American spin, no, you know, it's basic approachable, recognizable, you know, versions of the style. And I think, you know, that, that's not something that's going to get a lot of people's attention necessarily. Uh, but that's what we focus on is having a really well-balanced menu and making, you know, solid recognizable versions of whatever style we're, we're trying to make. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do a whole lot of, I don't know whatever I don't you know trendy beers or you know we're not really into the super high hopping hopping rates or you know lacto fruited sours that's just not that's not really who you know like I said I'm an engineer I'm a, I'm a spreadsheet brewer for sure um, and that's not really you know the the guest uh, group that we've grown or whatever you want to call that that's not our audience at this point um, so that's what. For me, I'm, I'm really proud of is maintaining that just well-balanced draft list. You can come in, you can look at it. There's always a decent kind of spectrum of offerings for whether you're in some, something more kind of, you know, light and approachable, you want something hoppy, you want something malty, we've got something for you. Well, and I think a lot of people probably don't realize the challenge when you have, you like you said, a simple beer, but sometimes making a simple beer, especially when you have a lot of regulars that come in, can be a challenge in and of itself because any little change is very obvious in a more simple beer. Cause you don't like in these ad, adjunct beers and like a big stout with marshmallows and chocolate in it and all this stuff, you can bury a lot of mistakes, but in, but in a more simple beer, like you said, to make that over and over like a Kolsch, that's not, that's a, that's a feat in and of itself to like nail that beer over and over. Sure. And that's what I think is kind of surprising. That's not what we expected to be doing. Uh, but of course, you you, adapt, you get open, you adapt, you see what your volume is. And uh, that's where we are. And it turns out that I really like that, you know, constantly iterating with the beer, like constantly iterating that beer and trying to, you know, tweak it around the edges, right? Like not overhaul it, not overhaul it on every brew. Like, how can we make this thing better? How do we, how do we stretch our yeast? How do we stretch our... Uh, stretch our yeast generations how do we shave our malt costs and keep you know keep prices competitive uh all those challenges are are not the exciting challenges that people think of when they're opening a brewery right what would you say are some of the like like um i guess for lack of a better term like wilder or a little bit out of that pocket kind of beers that you guys have made over the years have you Um, a little bit not a ton um we don't have any way to pilot beers. Like we've got a seven barrel brew length mm-hmm. and pretty much we're brewing seven barrel batches. Uh, so there's not a lot of room for getting out there and, you know, just saying, well, okay, we have to dump it. No big deal. Uh, it's a pretty big deal for us. And we're a fairly small place. I mean, we've got 50 barrels of fermentation and um, we try to keep pretty tight during time. So uh, we don't have a lot of room for, we try to keep it fairly, you know, relatively within the within the uh guardrails or whatever don't go too wild um i'd say that like well the most unpopular beer we've ever <laughs> we've still got on 
uh, we brewed a Rogenbach with uh, the Ondex Pfizer uh, yeast, and uh, it's a great beer. Uh, but you know, people don't know what a Rogenbach is, basically. <laughs> so I didn't get much of a reward for going off the rails. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, that's not a beer style that you see hardly anywhere. So yeah, yeah, even even in uh, you know, say a true German brewery, you wouldn't see that very often here here in the United States, anyway. Yeah. But, um, but it's fun to, to experiment. We're uh, working on doing, uh, trying to keep uh, kettle sour on more often in the summertime. I mean, it's a great patio drink. I said we've got a lot of patio space, but it's a great patio drinker. Um, nice and tart and refreshing and a little, I don't want to say more, uh, maybe more exciting, more newer. And it definitely changes more than our, our you know, our core calls or our half of Eisman and that. It's a fun one to brew. You know, one thing we forgot to touch on earlier was just the name itself. Where did Balter come from? Oh, man. Uh, well, <laughs> when you're trying to name something, you come up with this long list and, you know, 90% of them are, are either taken or just unworkable or maybe unmentionable. Uh, <clears throat> and so we finally landed on Balter. I think uh, Blaine's wife had seen it on, on Pinterest or something. I don't know where she saw it. And thought that might be a, a good name. Um, little did we know, uh, around the same time, there was an Australian brewery, <laughs> and they had the exact same thought. Uh, so their first c- couple months of existence was existence was spent working out with them. You know, okay, what are the name? What, what you know? Where are we allowed to use the name? Where are you allowed to use the name? Oh, no. uh, we're going to change this. Y'all are going to change that. Here's you know, here's the keys to this social media account that we started. You guys give us the keys to this one. Uh, so. That's got to, like, it's, I can't even imagine trying to come up with a unique and original name nowadays. There's so many things out there. And every time oh, you yeah. find something that you really love and someone else already has it, and then you get attached to it, and then it just becomes a problem. You're like, ah! Yeah. Oh, and there's only... We, we worked it out. I mean, everybody wasn't a, there was no, you know, there were lawyers involved, but no lawsuits involved. <laughs> it, we, we got it all worked out. It, it, it's fine. <laughs> well, that's good. And I mean, depending on, uh, if you're, if both breweries are, your goals are not to be the next Budweiser or something where you're going global. It's, I mean, you guys are pretty far apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty good ways. <clears throat> not too and likely. We, there's going to be a lot of market confusion there. You know, we don't aspire to be, you know, a big regional brewery. We, we like being the size we are. We wouldn't mind having like, a couple brew pubs, but we like being the size we are being, you know, Knoxville or, you know, East Tennessee focused at least. What's the beer scene like there in Knoxville? Uh, exploding. It's great. Uh, so I moved here in 2004. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, there were three breweries in town, two of them were brew pubs and those places have been open, gosh, now probably 30 plus years. Um, and that, that was it. Uh, when we opened, there were probably 10, 12 breweries. That was in 2016 we opened. Uh, and then right now we're knocking 25, uh and you know knoxville's not that big of a town um anyway it's great there's a ton of there's a ton of variety there's not a lot of very big places like very high output places um so you know we have a lot of unique like kind of owner operated places and everybody's making kind of what they're it's pretty much everybody's kind of passion project right we've got everything from you know early early retirees to uh you know young folks in their uh, maybe late 20s, early 30s, starting these places. And it's really cool to see what everybody's 
doing. I mean, I, I personally, I'm excited about it. I'm a, I'm a beer drinker and I like to see more, more beer places getting out in, you know, the surrounding downtown neighborhoods. It's, right. it's great. So for, for a brewery, your guy, your size, does it, having all those other breweries around, does that just like compliment you and just, and do you find more people just coming and discovering all the different breweries just because I, I think that's kind of a, seems like a natural way for most people these days to discover breweries is there's this like beer tourism going on and sure it seems like we, we definitely see a lot more i mean it used to be you know Asheville was the you know the, the the destination which is about you know hour and a half two hours away from us and uh you know there'd be an exodus uh for uh, you know beer folks in Knoxville going over to Asheville to go check out what's going on and uh not that you know they still have a great scene over there of course uh but now you don't have to leave town mm-hmm. because there's enough breweries doing releases and, uh, you know, releases, events, whatever, um, that you, you know, you don't, you don't have to, you can, you can walk down the street. I'm, I'm, when we get, when we get done with this call, I, I'm walking down the street. They're doing a, <clears throat> they're doing a promotion for the local farmer's market, uh, fundraiser for them. And I'm, you know, I've got a 15 minute walk to go drink a couple pints and, you know, send a couple bucks to a good local organization. So it's been, it's been great. Nice. And it's good that you as a brewer actually get to out, go out somewhere and drink some beer and hang yeah. out and not just, you know, live at your job. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of laugh with the, you know, when we train new staff, but was, you know, a lot, a lot of them are young and maybe, you know, six bucks for a pint's kind of pricey at the moment. And I understand that too, but you know, you go support your, whatever your local place is and whether it's, you know, whether it's us or not, I don't, I don't particularly care, but you're going to get folks who come in from out of town and they're going to be wondering, okay, where do I go next? Where should I go? What should I check out? Who's got, you know, who focuses on hoppy beer? Where can I get a good, you know, sour, whatever. Uh, so have those in your back pocket. I mean, I tell them you'll, you'll hardly ever see me sitting at the bar, Walter drinking beer. Uh, I think about it you know, all day, every day. I want to go somewhere where I can try something that I haven't analyzed to death. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's totally it. <laughs> Not be looking for off flavors constantly. <laughs> so speaking of that, I have to ask then a question like what outside of like craft beer per se or whatever, like what would you drink if you're just hanging out with some friends? Oh man. I don't, I don't want to admit that on the air. Oh, come on. Everybody does it. <laughs> Every single brewer is going to have almost the same answer. I guarantee it. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I, I mean, right, right now, uh, probably high life is my go-to, uh, a couple years ago, our, uh, my wife called me, I was at work and she said, Hey, we got, we've had a problem. Uh, the front yard's really soggy and the the water line had busted. So I got home and, you know, went to the, went to the shed and got my shovel and my mattock and, you know, started digging it out. She comes out and says, is there anything I can do? I'm like, you can go get me a six pack of tall boys. (laughs) And, uh, that's how I spent the afternoon. And you definitely don't want to be drinking craft beer when you're digging holes in the middle yeah. of July. So yeah, everything's got its place. Yeah. Yep. I think you, you start knocking back a six pack of a six or 7% IPA and uh, yeah, you might be digging holes in the wrong places and creating new problems <laughs> to go with your original. One. That's right. Create more, more leaks than you started with. I would say uh, I've also that, started making just some lower alcohol, like mixed culture, I mean, predominantly oh. ale, like ale yeast, but some just like, you know, two to 3% mixed culture beers at the house. I'll take our, you know, production wort, uh, essentially water it down and it's something, you know, nice and fizzy, got some flavor. Um, but you know, you can have one at lunch and you don't feel like, okay, well, day's over. <clears throat> right. That's a good idea. 
Well, yeah. And I, it's funny that you say that too, because that's like a historical thing, really. It like goes back to brewing, you know, in the, I don't know, mid 15, 1600s and stuff when, yeah. when they would brew, when you didn't have really good potable water, like a lot of times people, when they brewed beer, they would take the second runnings and make another beer that yeah, would yeah. be like two or 3%, some probably not even 3% usually. And that was like for workers and stuff to hydrate during the day. So they didn't get drunk while they're working, but they had something <laughs> safe to drink. You know, it's like, when did we ever get away from that? And then Rest- we, now we just pump chemicals into our water I to make them safe. Say, right? Restaurants just start doing that more often. <laughs> Instead of like pouring a pitcher of water, you can bring over there with a pitcher of like table beer that's 2%. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's your next new concept. Living a style life wants credit for that. <laughs> Got it. We will make sure that you get, you know, get your asterisks on the menu for sure. Now the check it. is a different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's well. Maybe a backlink from the website. That would be. <laughs> hey, speaking of credit, the reason we're talking actually is because um, we're both, you know, pretty familiar with Malt Europe, and we'd love to hear more about kind of the malts that you use and how you've gotten connected to them and all you know those different stories and how you know rick yeah uh so when we started we were um using some we tried several different malts um you know some we were happier with the quality some we weren't as happy with the quality um ultimately you know rick came in and just like i don't know if you maybe you guys know um for a long time malt europe was primarily in the rail car business and a, you know seven barrel brewery is not going to get a rail car full of malt no uh, <laughs> I don't know how long it would take us to use that. Uh, <laughs> a long time. <laughs> but it wouldn't work, that's for sure. So yeah. as far as I know, we were the second place in town that started using uh, Malt Europe. Um, one of the brewers uh, over at a place that's now closed um, was using it. He, came, he had come from Sweetwater and Rick had stopped in and talked to him. And um, basically just they were under super, super tight Uh they were under some cost, some cost pressures and, you know, Rick came in and offered a great price. And I talked to Chris about it and he's like, man, this stuff, I mean, the price is great. The quality is great. Uh, you know, Rick's a great rep. Let me, let me, let me sit, can I send, let me send him over to you. And, uh, Rick came in and obviously had, you know, tons of knowledge. I've gotten more, I've gotten better attention from him than I ever have from any rep in any industry. Uh, he's Johnny on the spot with any problems, uh, any orders, of course, hopefully we don't have that many problems, but, uh, he's been really great and we've been ha- thrilled with the product and, uh, thrilled of course with the price. Um, we use primarily our, our base malt, uh, Pilsner. Uh, so that's primarily what we use. Um, of course they offer some amount of specialty stuff. So we try to use most, mostly their specialty and um, we've really liked their, um, I think they're, what is it? They're, uh, I can't remember if it's the steamed 40, whatever it is. Um, it's got a really interesting texture and, and flavor, the malt does. And so we're starting to use that in some of our, uh, in, instead it's not like a true crystal. So we started using that in some of our, uh, in some of our like, trial kind of one-off IPAs and pale ales. And it's providing just a really great like malt, malty backbone for those beers. Um, so it's, it's neat that they're, you know, they're innovating out of, you know, they don't have a, a drum roaster uh, in North America, I guess. And so they're uh, innovating with that product and it's actually worked out great for us. Yeah, yeah there's a Steam C40 and a Kiln C60. And we, we use both of those. Okay. Uh, we use the Kiln C60 in our amber and it's great flavor and uh, 
great color on it. Um, the C40, um, much different flavor than your kind of traditional C40, than your like traditional, like, you know, English crystal, uh, different flavor and different color. But in a, for me in a hoppy beer, like that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, you don't get some of that. I don't know what, I don't know what the flavor, what'd you call that flavor, but you know, sometimes kind of clashes with America, with American hops. Uh, when you have that kind of caramelly toffee gets a little too strong. Yeah. Yeah. I like a traditional crystal 40 can get pretty, that can be pretty dark for a, and play weird with hops sometimes. I think when you're doing an IPA. Yeah. With some of those high hopping rates for sure. Uh, but we've been really happy with it. Um, we use, we use a lot of their uh, malted wheat as well. And uh, the, the thing that we're happiest with, honestly, is, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, like one of our challenges is how can we make, you know, great beer that's competitive in price and consistent. Like that's one of our, that's one of the biggest challenges that, you know, for, for our uh, audience is consistency is a big deal to them. Uh, not that they don't want new stuff too, but consistency is, is a real big, uh, real big driver for this, for us, I think. And, and that's been, you know, Malt Europe Small has been super consistent. Um, we haven't had milling problems for a while there. We were, you know, we were seven malt, you know, every, every, you know, more than once a month to adjust the mill, the mill gaps. And, you know, for us, that's just one more chore on top of, you know, there's two of us in the brew house, right? We don't have, you know, we don't have lab techs. We are, we are the lab techs. We are the cellarmen. We're the brewers. We're the janitors. We're the maintenance men. We're the, you know, we're the whatever. Um, so anything that we can kind of set up, set on autopilot, we love. Yeah, and that's one thing I've noticed since we've been working with Malt Europe is uh, they do they they put so much effort into trying to provide a very consistent product, and you know they they come from a background like you said they they supplied rail cars most of the time full of malt because they were supplying really big breweries and lots of the distilleries down south and stuff, and uh-huh. and for those guys you know even if it's you know say a Budweiser you know, you can't be different on Budweiser from, from batch to batch. It's got to be dead on the same thing every single time. And so, you know, sure. they've sh- certainly dialed in how to, how to get their malt to be repetitive and, and consistently productive. So, mm-hmm. and now it's just cool that they're, they've in the last few years or so, they've really dedicated themselves to the craft market. So. Yeah, it's great. And I mean, for us, it's been, it's been a boon, especially with, you know, food costs going up so much. Mm -hmm. Um, This has let us keep our, I mean, we've raised beer prices some, but it's let us hold off on that uh, and, you know, be able to shift some and still, you know, remain profitable, which obviously is the goal of this whole project. So speaking of rising prices and, you know, eventually probably sometimes rising beer prices and all that and the future and, I don't know, where do you see the future of craft beer heading and where, uh, where are you guys heading? Oh man, my crystal ball's as broken as everybody else's. I, think. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, for us, I mean, locally is, is, is what I kind of, what I care the most about, right? I'm pretty committed to Knoxville. I'm not, I'm not looking to go, you know, work for a bigger brewery or, a, you know, anywhere else. So I think locally we'll still continue to see the, you know, the small, you know, three to 10 barrel places pop open and make, start making some really cool beers. And I hope we start seeing, you know, Knoxville's got a pretty spread out, like basically, you know, I 40 and 75 kind of run and Knoxville spreads along where they converge. And we've, we've got so much concentration in the downtown area, which provides, you know, it's a really great like nucleus of brewing knowledge and activity, 
but I know so many people who live outside that area who are hungry for a brewery to come to their neighborhood where they can, you know, either walk there, you know, be there in five minutes. They don't want to drive half an hour to get to downtown to go have a beer on a Tuesday night. Right. So I hope we still can, we continue to see more of that development in town. Um, and there's plenty, I think there's a lot of room for growth in that, you know, in that segment or that, you know, size category or whatever. Uh, but that's, you know, like I said, uh, I'm just a brewer. What do I know? <laughs> well, oh. I was just going to say like the, so many breweries when they open up now, they're just more of the neighborhood, the neighborhood bar. They want to be that neighborhood place yeah. and where a community comes together. So yeah, it, it, so many communities can still handle so many more breweries. Well, I mean, you figure yeah. we're up, we're pushing on like, Nine. we're pushing up on that 10,000 breweries across the country, but there are a lot more than 10,000 communities across the country. So, you know, I think Absolutely. there's a lot of room for growth, even if it's a small town with three to 5,000 people, you can easily support multiple breweries in that size town. Sure. There's still beer deserts out there. We gotta, we gotta fix them. Exactly. Yes, we gotta... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call, call out Mississippi. Let me tell you. Yes. Beer <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't usually really? think Mississippi is very desert like, but uh, when it comes to beer, for sure. For if you're sure. looking for cold craft beer, it's not, it's not exactly an oasis. Yeah. Have, I don't know. I don't know. The last time I've been to Mississippi and 12, maybe, maybe 12 max breweries in the entire state. Maybe. I wow. There in a couple of years, but yeah, last time we were there, it was, I think the last time we were there, it was like 12 and they were losing one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know something like that and i what they still which have is like amazing dry too. counties and stuff too right uh i maybe i don't know i can't i don't I, I don't have a good knowledge on yeah. that one but does tennessee still have dry counties i think so uh i'm really not sure anymore yeah uh there used to be you know lots and lots of you know rules about you know especially like even even in non-dry counties like service times and windows and like we just got, you know, grocery store, like wine and grocery stores, what, 2016 or 17, I feel like. Uh, so all that's kind of changing down here. I mean, we, we also have, I think, over 100 breweries across the state now. So there's, you know, a pretty significant amount of money and, employ- and you know, employment that, you know, is enough to get legislative attention. Uh, Tennessee's got a, uh, a brewer's guild. And uh, they hired an executive director a couple of years ago, and uh, they're starting to get a little more active on that front, which is great. Moving uh, right along. So more changes to come. Yeah. All right. Just a couple more questions to get to know you a little bit more, Will. So the person behind the beer a little bit more. <laughs> what do you do outside of your outside of the brewery and outside of beer life? Who are you? Uh, I try to ride my mountain bike some. Uh, south of downtown has got a great system of trails um, that have been built over the last you know, 10 to 15 years or so. Um, so I try to get out and do that. Uh, right now, uh, my wife and I bought a house I've been empty for about 10 years. So all the fun that comes with renovating the house uh, so I'm in the middle of a bathroom project right now. I rinsed all the drywall off my face uh, just before uh, getting on the call with you guys, uh, and that's kind of it. I'm I'm pretty pretty boring, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> You're in beer and in mountain biking. That's a pretty good thing. That's, that's a good that's, combo. That matches right up with us too because yeah, we're biking as well. So there's really I mean, cool hills but, up here in Montana too. Believe it or not, I do not have a beard. It, just to 
Oh. It's the one part of the stereotype that I don't hit, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how, that, how and then we, we like to travel. Yeah, my wife and I like that now that you know things are starting to open back up. We got a couple trips on the books this year, so it's exciting. Where are you gonna go? Uh, we're headed up to Banff in about a month. Oh, cool! Uh, so we've got a we got a friend and he and his wife just moved to Calgary. We're gonna go visit those guys. Uh, really exciting, and then uh, headed to New Zealand uh, later this year. Ooh, they just oh, opened wow. back up again too. November, so yeah, really excited. First, definitely first. Like we've been to Banff, uh, that's for be first time, uh, first time in New Zealand. Hopefully, not the last. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, that's that should exciting. be cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, how, uh, how would you define yourself as a mountain biker expert, elite, beginner? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been biking for long enough uh, that I should be better than I am, but I'm making peace <laughs> with. I am. <laughs> See, he just matches up perfectly with us. That's no, exactly that sounds about where I would. Like, I think we should be better than we are, but you know what? It is what it is. As long as you're enjoying it, that's what matters. <laughs> I'm an enthusiastic amateur, and that's okay. I like that. There you go. So, how about traveler? Then, how would you define yourself as that elite? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm out of practice after the last two years. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get to the airport and realize I forgot my passport. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. my belt's still on. I'm wearing the wrong shoes. It's gonna be a disaster. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, you had. I remember those days. I haven't really flown a lot either. I've flown like one time in the last three years, and yeah, I remember having a whole system down where it's like I knew exactly what to wear, not what not to wear. Yeah, and had you know the right shoes so you could just slip them off and get through the line. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be learning all that. Oh, but that's exciting. You know, when you're in there and it's like, you haven't traveled in a while. It's like, you're, you're, yeah. you're actually excited to be in an airport. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh boy. <clears throat> I get to sit in an uncomfortable chair and people watch for the next three hours. Oh, yeah. Wait till New Zealand, right? Yeah. New Zealand. <laughs> that's going to be a big one. All right. Last one. If you, if your personality will, if it's like, you have to think of your personality and who you are. If, if that was a beer or a beer style, like what beer would you be? Oh man. Um, I think just kind of a classic pale ale, hopefully. I don't know. That, I mean, that's why I'd like for people to think of me. Maybe is the way I should say that. That you're a classic? <laughs> classic, <laughs> approachable, uh, full flavored there you go yeah i like that i don't remember if this was on or off mic but i remember earlier before and maybe it was before we started the podcast but you were talking about how you know are you hiring all these younger kids and you've been in the area for so long and it's making you feel older careful when you define yourself as classic <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of an age and an ego problem right exactly no that's a good one i like that that's a good answer I think this was fun. Yeah. Good uh, I enjoyed it. I want to know when you guys are planning on driving that uh, rig down to East Tennessee and well, checking actually, out some trails here and some beer. We actually do have plans. We will be in Asheville and the surrounding area probably, what, September? Mid-September? Probably by September we'll be down there. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll be well, down there you guys for at least Come through Knoxville. Give me a, drop me a line. I'd love to, love to show you guys around and grab a beer. That would be awesome. Yeah, we time to ride a, ride some bikes. Maybe I'll have my bathroom project done by then, and I can actually there you have go. fun. Well, I, you would hope that you yeah, have that. Your ba- you would hope that you'd have your bathroom project done by then, right? Hopefully, by- I sure hope so. I'm Let's hoping that before we before we leave for Canada, that's my goal. Yeah. <laughs> we'll 
Perfect. Yeah, that'd be great. We'd totally take you up on that offer. Heck yeah. Cool. Are you going to ride while you're there? Plans to ride at Pisgah or anything? Yes. Yeah. So the reason uh, you, if you see my shirt, all, the, all you listeners, you can see my shirt too. I'm just sticking up my chest for the listeners. You can see my shirt. It says Camp Carpe Diem. So we run events too. And like we're heading down to Asheville for our second annual Camp Carpe Diem, which is what we call our coolest adult camp ever. So it's all about craft beer and mountain biking and uh, photography and like the waterfalls and just bringing community oh, together. Cool. So that's what we're heading down there for. So we will most definitely be exploring the entire area for mountain biking. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, Pisca is one of definitely Pisca, yeah. where we plan to do probably most of our riding down there. And then I guess there's supposed to be some nice trails that go into like Brevard and things like that. So we can but, ri- just ride into Brevard. And because yeah. um, our our opening night there, we have like a social gathering and Oscar Blues is sponsoring that. So oh, awesome. Yeah. Do it there. Well, they've got trails on the property, which I've never yeah. ridden, but I hear they're, I mean, it's cool they have them. Yeah, that's what um, Brian there is the is their marketing guy that we've been talking to, and he's a big mountain biker too, and so plan to get together with him as well and do a bunch of trail riding and stuff. Yeah, but it'd be great. We'll take you up on your offer to show us around your neck of the woods too. Cool. Yeah, we'll do a loop, grab a beer. I wonder if Rick rides. Does Rick ride? I don't know. Barney? I don't know either, yeah. We'll put him on a bike and see. Yeah, we'll see, <laughs> see if he, if he keeps going. Or he falls over. It's just like riding a bike. I remember? Oh, it is riding a bike. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, well, cool. it was great. Cheers. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah thank you, guys. Great talking to you. Yeah. You too. You too. Always fun to end a conversation about biking. Yes, and beer. Yes, and I also wanted to say I loved his um, thing about. Uh, mentioning that his crystal ball was broken when we asked about the future of craft beer uh yeah i think everybody's crystal ball is a bit broken right now nobody can figure out shit with this world but we're all doing our best um same thing goes back to balance nobody can figure out that shit but we're all doing our best but i will tell you balanced beer man classic beers good beer at balter beer works solid beers like that's the place to go so if you're looking for some balance Head on over to Knoxville, Tennessee. Might be the only place in the world you can find it. I don't know. Anyhow, I also have to say, I cannot believe that I forgot to mention this in the beginning. But like I said, I wasn't recording that beginning again. Y'all got what you got. But this was also in conjunction with Malt Europe Malting Company. um, Some of our favorite peeps to write with and create content for. Um, It's also done in conjunction with celebrating and highlighting the breweries that Malt Europe works with. So we wanted to say again, thanks to Malt Europe. Thanks to Rick Barney Jr. um, for setting all this up with us. Um, We're super stoked that we get to work with these guys. Like, I mean, on a daily basis almost. So it's really, really cool. So we hope, actually, that's another way you can build a balance too, is like find the people that you love to work with. And then it makes work not so much like work. It's a lot of fun. Besides the fact that our work is beer. Um, yeah. That's another kind of balance thing you can talk about. How much beer? How much fitness? How much beer? How much not beer? Do we want some bourbon? Do we want some whiskey? You know, there's all the things that you can figure out. But life is, it's just a hodgepodge of everything. And everything makes it great. Yeah, I could get real philosophical right now, but I won't do that on you guys. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. And until next time when Kenny's back, keeping me laughing, keeping you laughing, you know, 
because we all got to laugh because that's another way to make life great and another way to keep your balance and keep your head straight on is just to laugh. So wherever you're headed off to today, tomorrow, you know, in the next week or two, traveling, staying, wandering, meeting new people, reconnecting with friends, seeing the same people you see all the time, do it around a beer because we all know that, man, around a beer, everything is just much better. So on that note, you guys, oh, wait, see, again, Kenny's not here. This is his job. Subscribe, tell people about us. And instead of buying an extra beer, get a little bit more balanced. Only buy two beers at a brewery instead of three. That third beer you were possibly going to buy, you know, you can click a button on our website that says buy us a beer and then you can help us keep this content going because then we'll just have a cheers with you on our next podcast and it would be lovely because you bought us a beer. That's how you drink three beers without drinking three beers. Maybe you should have five beers and this math would make sense. Anyhow, buy us a beer. Subscribe. We love you. Talk to you later. Cheers, y'all. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.